Okay, hey everyone. Once again, I'm up here. Uh, it's really great having everyone here, and um, I'm just one of the ministry apprentices here at Uni Church, and it's been a real privilege growing this year, uh, growing alongside all of you, uh, and looking forward to next year as well. So let's see how let's let's enjoy it together. Um, and it really, it honestly, it really is a privilege to be up here today as we continue our series in First Corinthians. Um, and as you all would have noticed, uh, both of our pastors are away. So Lachlan's away, excitingly now married, uh, and, Ro- <laughs> and Rowan's overseas for a 90th family gathering birthday. So that's a 90th grandpa, you know, 90th birthday. I think, I think grandpa. Uh, so we're all left, uh, left with one another <laughs> uh, as we come to unpack God's word and see what he has to say to us today. Now, uh, through the series, we've uh, read and heard many different things about this church in Corinth uh, over the past few weeks. Uh, some of them are a bit more out there than others, things like speaking in other languages or tongues or prophecy, um, but also some really encouraging, the call to serve and love one another, or, or that we're all different. That's a good thing. But it's all led up to this moment, this passage that Deborah just read to us, the climax. So picture this now. Paul, he's been taking the Corinthian church on a hike, following a stream uphill pointing out some important landmarks here and there, uh, pointing out important issues for basic Christian living. Um, but now, now we've reached the source of the stream, the top of the hill, where all the water in the stream comes from, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where all the arguments and points Paul has been making stem from. This is it. And my goal today The goal of this passage in God's word is to show us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is planned, proven, and powerful. So let's pray and ask God for help with that. Heavenly Father, as we humbly come before you to give you all the praise, all the praise in what you're doing through us uh, and through your son Jesus Christ, uh, we boldly approach you in prayer, uh, eager to hear what you have to say to us, and help us to listen. Calm our heartbeats um, so that we may drink deeply from your word today. Help us to be so engrossed in your word so that we may live as your people, people eager to see you be glorified. May we be challenged and convicted by your word today so that uh, as you help us to understand the implications it has uh, for us through your spirit. Um, and we pray all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Well, everyone, have you ever had that feeling where you just felt like you couldn't miss out on something? Something that is non-negotiable. Just over two weeks ago, I was mulling over going along to my trainer Lachlan's wedding out in Sydney, which happened yesterday. Uh, Being his first ministry trainee and how much he's invested in me, I felt like this was something I couldn't miss out on. Surely this was a non-negotiable event. This was a major event of a huge mentor and friend in my life. And for many of us, maybe it's like going along to a close friend's graduation. Or maybe a 21st birthday. A concert of a really famous artist we've been following for a long time. Or an opportunity to go on an overseas experience. What non-negotiable things do you feel like you just couldn't do without? But what if we were to miss out on eternity? to miss out on eternal life. 
And in God's word today, we have the one non-negotiable that will cause us to miss out on eternal life. That this non-negotiable is all about a foundational message. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Planned, proven, and powerful. Three Ps. Often when we hear this word, the gospel, in a Christian context, we think of it as being sort of the entry into Christianity. Uh, Call it the gateway or door if you like. But we'll soon see tonight, Paul doesn't let us think that way. It's not just the door, it's the entire house. It's all of it. And so Paul rightly sees it as the only and best way to start wrapping up everything he's covered, packaging everything he's addressed to the Corinthians with this non-negotiable, this message. He kicks us off with some key features of this good news. So let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 15, starting from verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. So here, we learn that this message is to be received. Received through proclamation. You take your stand on it, and you get saved by it if you hold on to this message. And lastly, it's important. This message certainly sounds like a pretty big deal. But the question is, what is this message? And where our first point comes in. The gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, starting from the second half of verse 3. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul lays out for us the message. Jesus Christ died for us, for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. He really did die. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days after he died. Jesus Christ was resurrected. This is the news Paul had for the Corinthians. The good news that God has for all of us today. There is no other news that Christians hold on to. And this is the news that is most important. To put this all into context, though, we need to look back at a very key phrase that we saw earlier in verse 2. You are saved by it. And this idea of saving forces us to think and reflect on the purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The nature of the problem that's being dealt with here. When we hear about God, we hear about how amazing and perfect God is. You know, he's perfectly loving, perfectly merciful, perfectly kind. You know, all that good stuff that we like hearing. But sometimes, sometimes what gets left out is God's perfect justice. What gets left out is how often God's wrath is spoken of in the Bible. We, in fact, see Paul mention a little later in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 and 25, what the return of Jesus Christ will look like. So let's have a look at that. Then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, 
for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The Bible presents God as not only pursuing us in love, and don't get me wrong, he most definitely is pursuing us in love, but also standing over against us in wrath. And unless we see how both these traces run throughout all of the Bible, when we hear this gospel message, it will be misunderstood. We must see that the fundamental problem we face is not the bad relationships horizontally or with Mother Earth or anything else, but first and foremost, with God. We must be reconciled to God or we have nothing. And this helps us to see that this message is not just news, but good news. Helps us to understand what we are being saved from. The wrath of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has satisfied both the perfectly merciful and perfectly just God. Let me give you a helpful illustration here. When we're at school or whenever we go to a health and safety course at work, you know, one of those things, uh, we get taught that if there's a fire, we have to immediately go to the fire exits and head outside. They emphasize the immediately go to. They're explicit in telling us not to gather our things or pack our bags or go back to our offices or rooms and get our valuables. We are to immediately leave the building, no matter how tempting it is to get our belongings. There's a priority here. The first thing that we save, the first thing that needs saving, are our lives. And in exactly the same way, before we go around fixing this relationship here and there, making sure we've got a good job or a good education, making sure we've tidied up this bad habit or that negative attitude, before any of that, the first thing that needs fixing, the first thing that needs help, the one non-negotiable is our relationship with God. This is the issue at its heart. No, maybe you're someone here that's forgotten this. Maybe you're someone here that's never known this. Spending our time tidying up this area of our life, fixing this problem we have, trying to make our lives look nice when the problem all along is at its root. Jesus Christ has died for you, for your rebellion against God. And he has risen from the dead so that our problem at its heart can be restored. So that we can be reconciled back to the giver of life the very one who sustains your heartbeats today. Yes, it might hurt, and you'll definitely be tempted to go back. But stop running from the truth and accept this free gift. Come back to what is most important. This news, this gospel is what we all need. Me, you, the person next to you, everyone. Don't leave here tonight without asking Jesus to forgive you. This is our first and foremost priority before anything else. Don't waste your life anymore trying to fix this problem, put out that fire, trying to tidy up our lives here and there, going nowhere. We first need to address the issue at its root. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, therefore, as a result of this message, is our next point. Proclaim the gospel and persevere in it. We saw earlier in verses 1 and 2 
two key outcomes of the gospel. Proclamation and perseverance. So let's first have a look at proclamation. Paul highlights twice in these two verses, verses 1 and 2, that the delivery and reception of this message was through proclamation. This isn't news that was simply discussed or written about, but preached. And what you do with news is announce it. You don't keep it to yourself. And it's essential for us to see that the gospel itself must be proclaimed. This is how it's passed on. This is how it's received. And this news is that good. You just can't keep it to yourself. Now, we all have great stories we want to share. Those times where we're like, well, I can relate to this. Guys, guys, I finally managed to ask that girl on a date. You know, one of those tell me all about it moments. Or maybe it's getting that dream job of yours or a promotion at work getting pregnant and having a child. Perhaps it's getting into med school or law school or whatever. These are all good things. It's news we want to announce. And it's news like this that has changed our lives. So we want to share it. And similarly, this message that Paul proclaimed to the Corinthians is very much life-changing. It saves. News so good, we want to announce it. So absolutely preach this gospel. Get involved with cold contact evangelism before church. Talk to people at work, your neighbors, your friends, your family. This gospel is to be proclaimed. Secondly, let's have a look at how the gospel requires perseverance. So in these verses, we see Paul telling the Corinthians that this is what they take their stand on. And this idea of saving is conditional. It's conditional to holding to this mes- on to this message. So take home point. Genuine Christians stick. They stand firm. There's no half-baked Christianity here. Let's think of it this way. A cake is only made when left in the oven for its full duration. Otherwise, you get mush. <laughs> Nothing. There's no point mixing up all the ingredients and then giving up halfway. If you give up halfway, you've started to bake for no purpose, no result. When you've decided it's cake for dessert, that is what you're committed to. You're taking your stand on cake for dessert. (laughs) And no matter how good it looks in the oven, you've got to wait for it to fully finish. And so it is with this message. There's no giving up halfway. This message is the non-negotiable of all non-negotiables. When Christians have believed this message without holding on, then they have believed for no purpose. So, in light of these two outcomes, that the gospel requires perseverance and that the gospel is to be proclaimed, this isn't a one or the other thing. It's both. Now, I'm someone who can be pretty tunnel vision. I can get so fixated on seeing this message go out, telling people about this gospel. I undermine the importance how essential it is to see fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, people sitting next to you right now, holding on to this message. Don't be like me. Yes, we need to be proclaiming this message to everyone, seeing this message go out, but we also need to be walking alongside one another, making sure we're all holding on to this message. 
asking helpful questions. Like, what challenges are you going through as a Christian right now? How can I be praying for you? And then praying for them then and there. Being concerned for people after not seeing them at church or connect group after a while. And might I also add, let others into your lives so they can walk alongside you as we all hold on to this message. Love one another. Love people whether they're Christian or not. This builds up the church. If Christian, help them to hold on. If not, proclaim this message to them. And Paul, he teaches us a valuable lesson here. Don't ever assume the gospel is known. We learn and hold on to what we repeat. And so he repeats it, clarifies it for the Corinthians. And so we should follow in his footsteps. No matter how good someone looks like they're going, no matter if they've heard it before, don't be afraid to clarify and repeat this message. This is the single best way we can ensure people are holding on to this message. Making sure that cake is getting fully baked by constant reminder and repetition to ourselves and to others. This message is what we should be hearing each and every week at our church gatherings. This message needs to be understood first before anything else. Don't assume it is known. It is most important. And the message that the Corinthian church needed to come back to is most important for them. So proclaim this message and persevere in it. This lands us at our three Ps. First one, the gospel of Jesus Christ is planned. God, he knows us. He knows what we need, when we need it, and he has planned each step. Jesus Christ, he wasn't some accident, some insurance policy in case we needed it. We saw earlier in verses 3 and 4, Paul mentions twice that this historic event was all according to the scriptures. Now, Paul has two major reasons for mentioning this. First, that he didn't make it up. It's not good news from Paul. It's not good news from Ming. It's good news from God. And secondly, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was planned all along. And Paul, he isn't thinking about one specific text in the, from the Bible here. It's a plural. Scriptures. The whole Old Testament testifies to this plan. And this helps us to shine a light on how we're seeing God and how we're reading our Bibles. You know those times where we're watching a movie or reading a book, and the whole storyline leads up to a climactic moment. Some identity or information is revealed at the very end, like a final revelation or the final piece to the puzzle. And with this new piece of information, uh, this compels us to go back and relive all the events in the movie or book again. And we think to ourselves, oh, you know, the light bulb moment. And often, this is why we don't want spoilers. Now, if you're someone who has an experience at light bulb moment, you can come talk to me later for some recommendations of movies or books. <laughs> but, but I have a recommendation for you now. This news about Jesus Christ, these historic events in history that have happened, all according to the scriptures, 
is the light bulb moment for all of us. It changes the way that we're reading the Old Testament. It allows us to make sense and focus in on what God is doing, to see his big plan in action from then until now. Now, maybe you're someone who's just read Leviticus, and you're now trying to keep all the food laws, limiting to yourself to what you can and can't eat. No, you've already been set apart, clean and holy through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're thinking, David and Goliath, I know that story. That's all about slaying the giants in my life. Is that the main point here? No, Jesus Christ is the light bulb moment to make sense of all this. It helps us to focus, look out for what does this tell us about Jesus here, pointing us forward to him and who he is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is planned. Next point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proven. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8, Paul mentions a series of names. Some names of people that Jesus Christ appeared to after his resurrection. Let's have a look at these verses. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. So Paul also has a couple of goals here. First, he challenges the Corinthians that they can go talk to these people for themselves. Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. We're not crazy. It really did happen. They saw it, and you can go talk to them for yourself. What's even more amazing is that this letter that we're reading today, this letter to the Corinthians, is one of the earliest manuscripts in history that talk about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It is so close that it is only about 20 years after Jesus Christ was crucified. What do you all reckon happened 20 years ago? What were some major events? Let me refresh some of your memories. (laughs) Harry Potter was first written. The Titanic movie premiered. Princess Diana sadly passed away. When the Lion King first touched our hearts. (laughs) The loved and never forgotten Tamagotchi toy was unleashed (laughs) to the Western world. And a personal favorite, the creation of Pokemon. (laughs) Come talk to me later about that story. Uh, These events, these are events that we do not debate over. Now, these are pretty big events. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was even greater. And so I'm challenging you all now. You can be confident in the historicity of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Secondly, Paul focuses in on a few key names here. Cephas, also known as Peter, the 12, over 500 brothers, James, the apostles, this just means sent one, and Paul himself, pretty significant figures in the Bible. And what Paul is getting at here is this idea of unity. Paul not only wants to point to the legitimacy of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, but Paul wants the Corinthians and all Christians to know that believing this event Believing the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable for all Christians. We all believe it, and this is what was being proclaimed. 
Let's have a look at verse 11 very quickly. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. And so we see here, Paul hits it hard where it hurts for the Corinthian church. Where early in the letter, we learn that they were arguing about following this guy or that guy. No, 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 no. Paul brings them back to remember, we are all believing and proclaiming the same message. It doesn't matter who, we are all following one person, Jesus Christ. And to top this all off, we reach our final point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful to change. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 to 10. Let's have a look. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Before we keep going, we need to define a word. It's an important word, repeated a few times here. Grace. So what does it mean? It simply means undeserved gift. Getting something that wasn't deserved. Remember that. Getting something good that wasn't deserved. So in light of that, we can say Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for us, for our sins, is grace. We didn't deserve reconciliation, forgiveness with God. We didn't earn it. We were given Jesus Christ, a free gift, a good thing, when we didn't deserve it. But like I said before about the gospel, this isn't just the gateway or door into Christianity. It's the whole house. And similarly, God's grace, we see it everywhere. And so what Paul is showing us here is that by God's grace, God doesn't leave us in the state we are in. He changes us, shapes us, and that's something to be so thankful for. Paul starts off his testimony about himself with some backstory. I persecuted the church of God, he says. This apostle, this sent one, killed Christians. And Paul describes himself as unworthy, unworthy to be called an apostle. He's thinking to himself, definitely wouldn't have chosen me to be an apostle. But, but by God's grace, I am what I am. An apostle, a sent one, with a very rugged history. And he is calling that God's grace, that whole package. God doesn't wait for people to clean up their act and show that they deserve favor. God pursues us, pursues you right now as you are. Have you ever wanted to complain? Be frustrated at yourself? Maybe wished you were a Christian sooner, thinking then I wouldn't have made that mistake. Or thought to yourself, if only I had a higher capacity. Or I wish I could play music, or preach, or evangelize better, or speak in other languages, prophesy, be smarter, better, stronger. Maybe it's you thinking, I wish I was like Rowan or Lachlan, or that, this guy or that girl. But Paul tells us now, we have been given the greatest undeserved gift in Jesus Christ. And that is most important. 
Paul goes on to tell us how it is God's grace that drives us to change. In Paul's demonstration of humility, he shows us what our drive is as Christians. It was Paul recognizing how unworthy he was, recognizing how much grace, how much forgiveness he was shown that drove him. He who is forgiven much, loves much. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Do you see how much you've been forgiven? This is reconciliation with the creator of life we're talking about here. God's grace is what drove Paul to work harder than any of the other apostles. And it is God's grace that drives us to change, shape, and grow into the likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So for us, when we look back at our mistakes in despair, when we feel like our efforts are going unnoticed, remember this truth. Remind one another. God's grace is not ineffective, but working in you right now as you are. God's grace is sustaining your heartbeats, each breath you are taking right now. God's grace is our engine, God's grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is powerful to change. So when it comes to the king of all non-negotiables, above all things in life, what is most important, the gospel of Jesus Christ, planned, proven, and powerful. So ask Jesus to forgive you today. Hold on to the gospel Proclaim the gospel. And I thought this might be a good chance to mention here. I didn't end up going to my trainer Lachlan's wedding, sadly. But that's okay, because we all have something even greater to look forward to. The assurance of eternal life with our Heavenly Father. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father and Sovereign Lord, as we have come before you and heard you speak to us, What a great privilege it is to be here alongside one another. What a great privilege it is to be encouraged knowing that we have full assurance of eternal life alongside you. Um, We pray pray for ourselves. Pray that we may persevere and proclaim this message. But pray for those who do not yet know you yet. May they see what the issue is at the heart and come to know your son, Jesus Christ, to be saved and to see the joys it is to know how much you love us and pursue us. We pray that we may come to you always and proclaim your gospel and persevere in it as we look forward to the hope of eternal life that you have promised us. We pray these things in your son's most precious name. Amen.